Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with one rental at a time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag one rental at a time. Now on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Michael Zuber, one rental at a time. It is Thursday. You know what that means. We bring back on the myth, man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jonathan Twanley. How are you doing, sir? I am doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing very, very well, man. So uh, first topic of the day is something that I am not great at talking about because I don't really play here, but that's why I have experts like you. So let's talk about multifamily trends for 2022. And just to be clear, we're talking multifamily. We're talking big units. I don't know, 50, 100, right? The big stuff, not a fourplex. So Jonathan, when I talk about 2022, which is you know, only 50 weeks long. We've already blown through the first two weeks. Uh, isn't that crazy? We just blew two weeks. I mean, yeah, it's gone. Yeah. Weeks yeah. The year's yeah. over. Never get it back again. Yeah. Never get it back. Yeah. So when you think about 2022 in large multifamily, what are the, what are some of the trends you think about and we'll, we'll bounce, we'll play ping pong and bounce around a little bit. Well, listen, I, I mean, I, I see 2022 as being more of the same from 2021, right? Okay. 2021, we saw a, a lot of money flowing into the asset class and we saw a lot of, and we saw really a massive amount of rent growth as people kind of, as we emerged from COVID and um, people felt confident to go out and rent apartments again. And, you know, as we've seen wages have been going up, you know, workers have a lot more power, they're switching yeah. jobs, they're getting raises. And so that's making its way into rents. And so uh, I don't think that we will see the kind of spectacular rent growth that we saw last year, because that was a function of a couple of things. I mean, that was a function of pent up demand Mm -hmm. and also a function of the fact that rents had actually declined the previous year. So, you know, had a big bounce back, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we're we're not going to see like, you know, 17 to 20% rent growth again this year but but we will see strong rent growth again and so when you say just so everybody realize strong rent growth what what is normal rent growth three percent i mean you you underwrite to three percent okay we have had stronger rent growth than that over the last few years and i think some people have gotten more aggressive with that assumption of rent growth Uh i personally wouldn't do that but i I know that there are people who have changed underwriting because of uh you know i mean it's not like a complete like ridiculous they're not pulling the number out of thin air there has been sure. strong growth in the last 10 years mm-hmm. um but th- you're not going to see like if you underwrite 17 percent rent growth you're you're an idiot like i mean unless unless you're forcing it right if you know like this the rent on this unit is 17 percent below what everybody else is getting for the same unit mm-hmm. you can write that in your first year rent growth because you know you're going to get it because you're going to raise rents that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about natural rent appreciation mm-hmm which I, I think will still be strong this year because there's still just a lot of pent up demand. And, you know, as we're going to talk about, I think in another session today, you know, home sales are down and that a lot of that's a function of being, not being able to buy homes. The inventory is very low. So people are going into, you know, apartments now and, and who knows, this is just speculation on my part, but if, if, if they kind of had their home, their heart set on a home, right. Then, 
they may be willing to spend more on an apartment than they otherwise would have because they're like kind of like already mentally made this switch like i'm going to go live someplace nice i really like i'm going to buy it mm-hmm. and then they can't and they're like okay well i'm going to spend another 100 bucks mm-hmm. or 200 bucks a month on rent to get a nicer place you know i think you, you might be seeing some of that too um yeah. but there's definitely just a huge amount of demand so i see i see uh cap rates continuing to be compressed in the asset class um, I see rent growth continuing to be strong. I see a lot of attention continuing to be uh, put into the sector by mm-hmm. investors of all stripes. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't really see any of that changing unless the Fed raises rates enough mm-hmm. that it starts to change the, the calculation, either by pushing up, uh, you know, pushing up interest rates to the end user, which will have an effect, or uh, in terms of making other things more attractive, mm-hmm. right? If you've got, if your risk-free rate of return goes up, then some money is gonna get sucked out into the risk-free you know, assets, i.e. bonds, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, that will have some effect, but I don't think it will have a major effect. I think you might see some softening around the edges. At the edges, yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I don't see, I don't see, I don't, I mean, of course, no one ever sees the calamitous thing coming, right? So I don't see the calamitous thing coming, uh, but I, I don't see, there's nothing really on the horizon that, to me that says that the sector is in danger mm-hmm. in any way of a correction, uh, as much as I would like to see a correction, because I <laughs> to buy. You, know, you like to buy lower, right? <laughs> buy lower and really make money, but um, yeah. You know, but I don't see that happening uh, anytime soon. So um, I think if you are buying assets, um, you know, you have to be thinking about the down the downside. I mean, that's I, I think the, the market is too cap rates are too compressed. It's too hot to be thinking really sort of in terms of upside, how much upside you're going to make. I think you need to be thinking about protecting yourself about when that correction does happen. I mean, it is going to happen at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah. We don't know when. Yeah. Uh, maybe not in the next 12 months, but mm-hmm. it, I think if you're buying an asset and intending to hold it for five years, you have a very good chance of seeing yeah. some kind of correction. Yep. So you have to make sure that your asset's gonna survive it and that's how you should be underwriting. So thinking a lot about how, how bad do things have to get before I should need to be worried yeah. about the asset. And if you feel comfortable with that answer, then go ahead and buy, right? Uh, but if you, if you feel a little bit like, you know, then maybe you're over, you're contemplating overpaying. So yeah. So let me let me kind of summarize what I heard you say. Um, and of of course, correct me if I miss misspeak. So first off, rent growth above trend again, not the exorbitant seventeen percent which was reported by Apartments.com, but certainly above three, probably above six. So another rent growth, and that that makes sense to me. Uh, my thirty years of doing this, or twenty five years, or whatever it's been now. Rents follow values, and we've seen values run ahead, and rents are always nine to 12 months behind. So I think just naturally speaking, I think rents go up more from here. Yeah, and look, I mean, unemployment is down to where it was before. Oh, yeah. Right, so the economy is is cranking in spite of the, you know, the fear-mongering around mm-hmm. everything, around, you know, coronavirus around inflation around all these other things that there's all this fear-mongering about the facts on the ground are that the economy is cranking right so that leads to rent growth 
and that leads to demand for apartments, right? So absolutely. The other thing on demand that I think a lot of people are missing, and I actually got this in an article about Manhattan, but what I'm about to say, I think plays in a lot of rich, rich areas. So a lot of people uh, that lived in Manhattan uh, left and they bought places in Florida. But what I what this article is talking about, one of the reasons that Manhattan's vacancy now is 1.7%, where last year it was 11, is yes, some people left, they sold their pad, they left, but now they're coming back and they're wanting to rent a unit because they don't want to leave New York forever, right? They still have offices there, relationships there, all of that. So now you're this millionaire down in, you know, on the water in Florida, but your increased demand in rentals because you're going to want a pad that you're at, I don't know, a month, a year. And again, if you're the 1%, you know, you can do that, but still, that's still more demand. And I think that plays in California. I live in the Bay Area. A lot of you moved to Tahoe, Reno, Vegas. You know what? Maybe instead of having a big house in Palo Alto, you know, you're going to rent someplace in Mountain View. And uh, I think there's just increased demand coming from people who left as renters. Yeah. And listen, I think a lot of the people who quote unquote left, mm -hmm. right, didn't actually leave. They actually already had a second home somewhere and went there and wrote True. it out or they bought one. And I mean, this is just anecdotal. So you can't, this is not like data, but it is evidence, right? That I, mm -hmm. over the past few months, or I guess before, you know, it got cold out. Mm -hmm. Every time I went to like a barbecue or something in, in our neighborhood, literally the, every single person there had bought a COVID house outside wow. the city, right? They didn't move out of the city, but they had all, everyone had bought like something mm -hmm. upstate as like a place, to, you know, and probably they, you know, everyone been thinking about it for a while, but they never wanted to pull the trigger. And then finally they're like, you know what? We need to buy something upstate. And so it's just remarkable, like how many more people now have second homes. And of course, that's obviously people who can afford second homes, but that puts pressure on everything else. I mean, one of the, you know, puts pressure on affordability, puts mm -hmm. pressure on, you know, supply, puts pressure on everything. So, um, yeah. and, but then a lot of those people, I think you probably have a number of renters too, who did just that, who, who were, they were renting. Yeah, then place, they, right. Then they, they bought someplace outside or they rented someplace a lot of people mm -hmm. do long-term like really long-term rentals too they sure. left they went you know they did their remote schooling with their kids from you know farmland upstate someplace and then they now they came back schools reopened and they're mm -hmm. like okay we've got to rent again now and now they're back they're all back and renting yeah. so right so the next thing again cap rates are going to stay compressed for the year i think that makes sense yeah um you know, you can't, they can't, I mean, when you, when you push on a spring, right, there is this level that can't go much lower. I think we we're really at or near that. So I like your idea. Don't assume you're going to go from three and a half to two and a half. I've actually heard people say that cap rates are going to go to like two and a half. I'm like, wow. Well, someone, someone said that in my Facebook group, but it doesn't make any sense. If you have, if you have cap rates going below the interest rate, you will have negative leverage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that means you're actually making, for every dollar that you borrow, you're making less money on your equity rather than more. Yeah. So um, now, if you had a true hyperinflation environment, maybe that would make sense because the idea of you losing less money that way than you would be just by sitting on money. Mm -hmm. But uh, but of course, like if you had, you know, you're also going to talk about if you had hyperinflation, you're probably talking about fifteen percent, twenty percent interest rates. Yes. Three, right. So that's going to have a whole different effect. different impact. <laughs> yeah. You know, forecast, but yeah, I, don't, I just don't see cap rates going below interest rates. Yeah, and interest rates are going down, right? So the Fed has already said we're pulling back. You know, we're we're raising rates. So 
Um, yeah, I agree with you there. And then the last thing we talked about, or you, you highlighted, is the one kind of uh, risk factor out there. And that's the, for me, it's the Fed creating or inducing a market accident, uh, which they have done, right? They've historically been late and or, or late. Yeah, they've historically been late and went too far. I think 2018 is an interesting example of that, right? Q4 of 2018, big impact in residential. Uh, I, I was in the game. I knew lots of flippers who, I mean, like the market seized up for like 60 days. Yeah. So the Fed can't do it. And I think if the Fed, for me, Jonathan, the Fed's been very clear stopping the taper. I think people knew that. Yeah. Starting interest rate rises, they were ready for that. What I think caught people off by surprise, and I don't know that we know what's coming, is they're going to start reducing their eight and probably soon to be $9 trillion balance sheet. Right. They're no longer going to be buyers of bonds. They're not going to sit on the sideline either. They are going to sell. Yeah. If there's not an appetite for that. The bond goes down and rates go up. Yeah. That has me somewhat nervous. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, I, I we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. I really think the Fed blew it in 2018 in the sense that when Wall Street screamed and the and the real estate market screamed they lost their nerve and didn't continue interest rate hikes, which they, in my view, should have continued mm -hmm. some air out of the bubble. Mm -hmm. they, the Fed has been unwilling to really ha have us suffer any pain, right? And, yeah. and, we, and, and the fact of the matter is we've been living on sugar water for a long time and that, you know, you're going to have to get off, the, the addiction to sugar water has got to end and that yeah. withdrawal, we're going to have to suffer that sugar withdrawal and, and frankly, in a couple of months, the market would readjust. It's not like, you know, like the market always readjusts these things. No, great. There are some people who get, you know, some people get got. They get got, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's so, um, and it's just, that's just life. But I think, I think the, you know, the Fed is like, the Fed has become like that indulgent parent that doesn't want to say no to any, <laughs> any of its children and, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then when they, when they, when they start getting a little bit of background with the children and the children scream, they're like, Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't have a tantrum. Mm, yeah. oh, here, here's the candy. Yeah. Here's so, the candy. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what the fed has become. Unfortunately. Yeah. So um, yeah, I totally agree. It happens. Yeah. So again, I think uh, for me, I guess what I'm summarizing is uh, keep looking at multifamily. I'd love to buy something bigger. Let's be very clear. I'd love, I'd love to get, I, I've told myself I want to try to buy 2 million bucks in good or great deals. If that comes in one deal, great. If that comes in houses, great. Uh, that's one I want to deploy this year or, or try to try to make happen. So I'd love it to be a multifamily. Um, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, any, uh, any other closing thoughts? And let's make sure to highlight your group because this was a post that you had in the group that really churned a lot of conversations. So uh, let's make sure to highlight the group so people join. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's called the Multifamily Investment Community. Come, you know, swing by, search for it on Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, please, the first time you go, please do it on a computer if mm -hmm. you can, because there are questions you need to answer uh, to get in. And I just reject everybody who doesn't answer the questions. Mm -hmm. but, they, but Facebook don't, doesn't show the questions on phones. Yeah. For this, is, this is what it looks like, folks. <laughs> yeah, so go there, multifamily investment community, and you can take part in the conversation and, you know, just have some fun and learn some stuff, maybe even, who knows. Yeah, no, I, I, I go to it almost daily uh, just because you put out, A, you put out some thought-provoking stuff and, and you have, what is it, 11, 12,000 members? I mean, just the, the yeah. amount of communication is amazing. Almost 12,000, yeah. Woo! Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Mm -hmm.